0: Welcome. I'm Warner Deschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Janet Fleming Rose on April 25th, 2021. Janet grew up in Epsom, Surrey, in the south of England. She studied modern languages at the University of Edinburgh and gained a postgraduate diploma in library studies at the Polytechnic of North London, which is now the University of North London. In a varied career she lived and worked in such diverse places as Scotland, Fiji in the South Pacific, the Republic of Maldives in the Indian Ocean, and Haifa in Israel, where she served in the Baha'i World Center Library as the Acquisitions Librarian. She now lives in St. Albans, England with her husband, Andrew. Janet wrote a biography on Louise Matthew Gregory, a British woman whose destiny led her to marrying an African-American in the U.S. in 1912. The biography is entitled, A Seed in Your Heart. We talk about the story of Louise Matthew Gregory in the interview. I started the interview by asking Janet where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up.
1: I grew up in the south of England in a town called Epsom, which is famous for its horse racing. And my religious life there was not very, well, it wasn't very religious, really. I didn't come from a religious family or religious background. I was baptized into the Church of England. That's the Anglican Church but I didn't ever go to Sunday school. My parents weren't interested in religion. In fact, I think they were rather against it. They had been made to go to Sunday schools all during their childhoods, and I think it had made them, well, they felt that religion was rather hypocritical. It made them really not want to follow religion after that. So they didn't bring my brother and myself up with any religious training, really.
0: From that religious background, how was it that your journey took you to hearing about the Baha'i Faith and becoming a
1: Baha'i? Well, quite a long journey, really. Although I didn't go to Sunday School, we did have religious education classes at school, which were based, I think, based on Protestant Christian teachings. And I found those quite interesting. Didn't answer all my questions, but I found them fairly interesting. And then uh, when I got to the age of about 14, I decided I wanted to be confirmed in the Church of England. So I enrolled myself for confirmation classes, went along to these for a few months, and then I was confirmed. And I was fairly active going to church for a few years. And then this kind of lapsed after a while. I suppose I must have had some sort of spiritual quest. I wanted to know more about religion, but there didn't seem to be any answers at that time. Well, I think some of the main questions I had were things like, why are there so many religions? If people were born before the time of Christ, and we're told in the Bible, I think, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, The people born before the time of Christ, are they all damned? It didn't seem like a loving and a just God to me if he would do that to people. So there were these questions, I suppose, in the back of my mind. Well, this went on really during my 20s and 30s. And in my mid-30s, I went to spend two years living and working in Fiji in the South Pacific, Actually, I heard about the Baha'i faith just before I left for Fiji. And then I was really made aware of the Baha'i faith because there was a little town where I was living on a small island in Fiji. And there were Baha'i pioneers living there, Baha'is who had left their homeland. They were actually from the United States. And they had left and they were hoping to spread the Baha'i teachings in Fiji and had come to live there. I began to be interested in this different religion. And also, I was living in a small town, as I mentioned, but very, very diverse. It was very multiracial and multi-religious. This was quite a new experience for me, really. There were people who there from Fijian ethnic background, and there were Indians, and there were... Chinese, and there were Europeans who'd lived there for several generations. And everybody just kind of mixed, and there didn't seem to be any barriers, any racial barriers at all. And also, there were various religions. There was obviously Christianity, and there was Hinduism, and there was Islam. And in this little town, everybody celebrated everybody else's holy days. So everybody celebrated Christmas. Everybody celebrated um, Rabadad. So I began to see that really there was no reason why the world shouldn't be like this. There was an example to me, in a connection with reading the Baha'i writings, I could see an example of the oneness of humankind and the oneness of religion. And that really is how I came to be a Baha'i and I became a Baha'i in Fiji there.
0: And Janet, what took you to Fiji in the first place?
1: My profession was professional librarian, and I'd worked for some years in Scotland and in England as a librarian. And then I went with an organisation called Voluntary Service Overseas, a British organisation, which is a little bit like the Peace Corps, but not quite the same as the Peace Corps, in a very British sort of way. So I went to work with a local person in Fiji, to assist the small library there, community library on the island where I was living and to kind of get it a bit more pepped up really, to get it going a bit more. And so I spent two years there, two very happy years and I really enjoyed working in such a diverse community and working with, as I say, people from all different backgrounds. It was an eye-opener for me and a very special time of life for me.
0: And then you, you went back to the UK after those two years in Fiji?
1: After the two years in Fiji, I had enjoyed the, them so much. I did another two-year stint with voluntary service overseas, and this time they sent me to the Maldive Islands, Republic of Maldives in the Indian Ocean. And there I was working in the National Library of the Maldives. I was advisor to the National Librarian, which sounds very grand, but um, (laughs) it was very, very interesting again, really starting from basics and helping to build the library up. And again, that was also very uh, fascinating. While I was there in the Maldives, and this is the mid-1980s, 1985 uh, was the dedication of the Baha'i House of Worship in Delhi, in India. Beautiful house of worship. It's built in the shape of a lotus flower. The building of it had just been completed uh, while I was in the Maldives, and I had several weeks vacation to take just at the time when the dedication of this house of worship took place in India. So I went off and that was, again, that was a wonderful experience to go to India and to be there at the um, opening or the dedication of the Delhi Lotus Temple, it's called locally.
0: So Janet, your profession is a librarian and now you have a book, a biography called A Seed in Your Heart, which is the story of Louise Matthew Gregory, which we'll get to shortly. But I kind of wanted to understand when did writing and authorship become of interest to you?
1: Probably. As soon as I discovered the mysteries of the alphabet (laughs) and the fact that you could actually write these words onto paper was just so exciting. So I think from a very early age, I mean, I didn't write any masterpieces, but through my childhood, I was very keen on writing poems and little stories and this sort of thing. And also... Once I could read, I just wanted to read everything I could get my hands on, really. We had a small public library locally. A little corner had all the children's books. I just read every book in that children's corner. And it went on from there, really.
0: And is this biography of Louise Matthew Gregory the first published book that you (laughs) produced?
1: Yes. It has taken quite a while, hasn't
0: it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's never too late, as they say
1: me quite a while, a number of years, to discover my genre. Biography probably is my genre.
0: So what was it, Janet, that inspired you to put pen to paper and to write a biography in the first place, and in particular, Louise Matthew Gregory?
1: I mean, talking about biographies generally, I enjoy learning about people's lives. Perhaps this is something that comes with age, that you're interested to know how other people have spent their lives, and what the starting point was for them. Were there any challenges they overcame and how they lived their lives and what were the fruits of living their lives? So I'm always interested in that. To write a biography, obviously, you need to do quite a lot of research because I was very keen from the beginning to make sure that it was true. You know, that I wasn't making anything up. It wasn't going to be a historical novel. It was going to be true facts So this did require quite a lot of research, but I enjoy the research. I enjoy it very much. So Louise Gregory, I didn't really know anything about her. I'd heard her name, and I knew that she was the wife of Louis Gregory, an African-American Baha'i, very eminent Baha'i. Well, that was really all I knew about her. And then 2010, 2010, my husband, Andrew, and I went to spend a few months in Bulgaria, in Eastern Europe, to um, work with the Baha'is there, really, and to be with them and share their activities. And uh, there is a wonderful book about a Baha'i pioneer lady called Marion Jack. She was Canadian. And she lived many years in Bulgaria, and she passed away there. She's buried there. And there's a wonderful biography about her by Jan Yashin. And I read this biography uh, when I was in Bulgaria. And as I was reading her story, every so often the name Louise Gregory would pop up. It would occur in the story. But there wasn't a great deal about her i became just very intrigued who was this this woman i knew she was a british woman and that she obviously spent some years in the balkans in eastern europe as well so i became intrigued by her and her life when we came back to england after the few months in bulgaria I uh, started to try and research and find out about her. With I mean, just the vaguest idea of writing a book about her at that time, but I was just interested.
0: You mentioned her husband Louis Gregory to give some context. Maybe you could just briefly describe a little bit more the time and history of who Louis Gregory was before we get into Louise. And what his significance is into in the Baha'i faith before we then we discuss Louisa's story.
1: I have to say first, I'm not an authority on the life of Louis Gregory. I know a little about him, obviously because he was the wife of this woman I was writing the biography of. But what I know of him is that he was an African American lawyer. He grew up in Charleston, I think it was, and he qualified as a lawyer. He was highly intelligent and worked as a lawyer. And then I think it was while he was living and working in Washington, D.C., he met some Baha'is and he started to investigate, he started to go to Baha'i meetings and found out about the Baha'i faith. And he became a Baha'i, actually in the same year as his wife. They didn't know each other at this time at all, but they both became Baha'is in 1909.
0: So the significant thing about this story, well, first of all, is that Louis Gregory was an African-American. And as you said, we're talking about, you said he became a Baha'i in 1909, you said? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's true. So he was an African-American attorney, in 1909, which in itself yes. is not a common thing yeah. to have occurred, especially in the United States. You mentioned Washington, D.C., right? Let's talk about Louise Matthew Gregory. I guess you explained a little bit that she came up a number of times in your reading of the biography of Marian Jack.
1: It was, yes. Mm-hmm. I was you know, just intrigued to know more about her. Because there seemed to be this unusual element in their marriage, which you know you can't ignore really. We've already established that Lewis was African American and she was a white British woman, and they got married. So, you know, hello, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, especially in those days when travel wasn't so common. So, uh, yeah, I was I wanted to know more about her as a person, and her marriage. And the book is a lot about their marriage, obviously.
0: There's a lot of information about Louis Gregory, but there's scant information about Louise Matthew. If you don't mind, I know people should read the book, <laughs> but maybe you could summarize a little bit about her story just to intrigue readers to want to read A Seed in Your Heart.
1: So, as I mentioned, it's about her life and also about her marriage. She's unusual anyway, because she was a Victorian woman born in 1866. She attended university, which was unusual for a Victorian woman in those days. She attended the Royal Holloway College in Surrey, which is now part of the University of London. She must have made the decision around that time. This is 1880s. Uh, she must have made the decision that she wanted to become a, a teacher. And she went to Edinburgh to a teacher training college there where she took part, she attended lectures at Edinburgh University. This was also it was quite um, extraordinary to me because I am a graduate of Edinburgh University. Mm-hmm. And so it was quite astounding to find that she mm-hmm. had, you know, she had preceded me, she'd been there before me. And so she became a teacher. And she was one of the first women to be a qualified teacher in Great Britain, actually. And then uh, I think a few years passed, and she went with a female friend that she had made at the college and went to teach in Luxembourg. So she was teaching in a government school and she had private pupils. And she lived for, not sure exactly, I think it was nine years in Luxembourg. And then after that, she went to live in Paris. And it was while she was living in Paris that she met some Baha'is. Because Paris at that time was the center, really, of Baha'i faith taking off, if you like, in Europe. There were amazingly charismatic Baha'is who were there. Louise was a singer. She had a lovely soprano voice. So it seems likely that she attended musical evenings that some of the Baha'is there in Paris were holding. Apart from enjoying the musical activities, she learnt about the Baha'i faith, which appealed to her, it seems, that it appealed to her straight away, the teachings of oneness and all religions coming from the same God. Towards the end of the year 1909, she wrote to Abdu'l-Bahá. Now, Abdu'l-Bahá was the eldest son of Bahá'u'lláh, the prophet founder of the Bahá'í faith. Bahá'u'lláh had passed away in 1892, so he was no longer on this earth, but his son, Abdu'l-Bahá, was seen as the foremost leader of the Baha'is at that time. And he was living in what was Palestine at that date. He was living in Acre or Acre in Palestine. So she wrote to him and declared that she wanted to be a Baha'i. And there are several letters that are still kept in the archives from Abdu'l-Baha that he replied to her. And then after that, we're not quite sure... The actual details of it, but she kept obviously kept in touch with the Baha'is. We think she went back to England for a while, and then Abdu'l Baha was able to travel. He had been a prisoner for 40 years, and with the fall of the Ottoman leaders in Turkey, he was released from his prison. He was able to travel widely. He went to Egypt. And then later, he went to Europe, he went to Britain, he went to France, and then undertook amazing journey to the United States and Canada. As soon as Louise became a Baha'i herself, she wanted to go on pilgrimage. She wanted to meet Abdu'l-Baha. So she wrote to him and said that she wanted to do this. Unbeknownst to her, exactly at the same time, Louis Gregory, who had become a Baha'i the same year, He was also writing to Abdu'l-Bahá and expressing his wish to go on pilgrimage and to meet Abdu'l-Bahá. But Abdu'l-Bahá said this was not the time yet, and it wasn't until 1911 that Abdu'l-Bahá wrote to each of them and said this was a good time. At that time, Abdu'l-Bahá had set off on his travels, and he was in Ramle, which is near Alexandria in egypt louise went to visit abdul baha in ramley and at exactly that time lewis set off set sail from the united states and he arrived in ramley and so Louis and louise they met each other for the first time in the presence of abdul baha which is recorded in some memoirs if you like that lewis later wrote so we know this for sure, that that's what happened. And they both were on pilgrimage together, visited Haifa and Acre together. So, and then, after spending several months in Ramleh in Egypt, Abdu'l-Bahar set off. His health was not good. He was quite an elderly gentleman by this time. So he had been resting in Egypt, and he set off for Europe. Louise later recorded that she was with Abdu'l-Bahar in London and Paris. She was one of the many, many people who attended Abdu'l-Bahar's talks, and, which were in, held in churches and societies in most distinguished venues in London and Paris. Then abdul Baha went back to Egypt for uh, the rest, and in uh, 1912, it was heard that he was going to take this amazing journey to the United States. We don't have details of correspondence, but somehow Louise knew that that's what Abdulha was planning to do, and it seems that he invited her to travel with him. So she journeyed down. The ship went first from Egypt. It went to Naples, and so she journeyed down to Naples in Italy, And she's travelled with Abdul Baha, one of a very small group of Europeans. There were Persian gentlemen who were accompanying Abdul Baha, but the very small select group of Europeans with him, and Louise was one of these people who was on the ship with Abdul Baha and they arrived in New York.
0: Although they had met in Egypt, what were the circumstances that had them meet again in the United States, I assume that that's what happened when she travelled with Abdu'l-Bahá to the United States, that they then were to marry.
1: Well, yes, it wasn't as straightforward as that. It's a very uh, very touching and very sweet story. It seems that Abdu'l-Bahá, he kept dropping hints, really, that it would be a good thing for them to do. He wasn't forcing them to marry, but he was kind of uh, hinting that it would be a good thing to do. Actually, the title of the book, which is A Seed in Your Heart, that's part of the story of how they got together and eventually married. As I say, she went to Naples and she travelled with Abdu'l-Bahar on the SS Cedric from Naples to New York. And while they were well, they were just setting off, actually, on this ship, Abdu'l-Bahar said to Louise, he said the words, I said what I did because I saw a seed in your heart. Now is the watering time. I saw one seed in your heart. I wish it to produce many seeds. Well, for quite a while, Louise was really baffled by these words and didn't really know what he could have meant. But later, after she'd married Louis, it became clear to her that Abdu'l-Baha was referring to the attraction between herself and Lewis, they were just friends to start with, but there was an attraction there. The ripening of this feeling into love and later marriage. And the one seed producing many seeds was the attraction of the hearts of the black and white races produced by the Gregory's love and marriage as an example, if you like, of interracial marriage. And then I tried to develop this theme of the ripening of the seed throughout the book.
0: Janet, would you like to read an excerpt from A Seed in Your Heart?
1: Yes, I would. I would read a short excerpt. Oh, yes, here we go. So, as I mentioned, there were various hints from Abdu'l-Bahá that they should be very good friends. And then Louise actually she must have been in a bit of a state of confusion or quandary because she wanted to know if what actually did Abdu'l Baha intend. And she came out with the question, asked him, um, Do you intend, Mr. Gregory and myself, to marry? And Abdu'l Baha replied, Yes, he did. And that he particularly encouraged interracial marriages. So, on the surface, it was a most improbable marriage. Not only were they of different races, one black, the other white, but they were also of different nationality and cultures and from differing social backgrounds. She was from an affluent upper-middle-class family accustomed to comfort, servants, and education, while he, though well-educated, was the son and grandson of former slaves. In addition, she was eight years older than her fiancé and at 46 was entering middle age whereas Lewis was still in his thirties. However, what they had in common was their deep abiding allegiance to the Baha'i faith and their devotion to Abdu'l-Bahá. Because of this, they were content for their marriage to serve as an example of interracial marriage. They were both prepared to devote their lives to service of the faith, and this was to be their uniting strength And despite their manifold difficulties throughout the years, theirs was to be an enduring, loving marriage of true soulmates.
0: You know, this is a dangerous time, especially for an interracial couple. This was in, what, 1920?
1: Well, they married in in 1912. 1912,
0: okay. So this is 1912, which is the early part of the 20th century. So where did they live?
1: They lived in so many places, it was very difficult to keep track of where they moved to next, really. Occasionally, they would they were lucky enough to be able to afford to buy a house, and they would do that. They did suffer financial difficulties quite a lot as well. So then, on, a, on occasion, they would let the house, rent it out, and go into lodgings themselves. Uh, well, they started off in Washington, D.C., Now let's see, They mainly they lived in New England, they lived in Boston, they lived in Portsmouth and then their final years, they lived in Elliott, Maine, which is, there was at that time and there still is, a Baha'i conference centre really, so they lived at Elliott near to Greenacre and that's where they passed away.
0: Was it difficult finding this biographical information on Louise Matthew?
1: Yes, to start with, I found it very hard. I'm going back to 2010, which is not very long ago, but really there was so little information on the Internet at that time. In the last 10 years, you know, it's just increased so much. Now it's easy to find family history information, but at that time it really wasn't. And I struggled. I had a friend who was very good, very keen on genealogy and family history, and she helped me a lot. Even so, it was quite difficult just to find sort of basic information about Louise's family and her life. She was mentioned in a few books. But she's always kind of been in the shadows and her life, there's not a lot been known in Baha'i circles about her life. Until I made a big effort and went with my husband, who went together to Wilmette, Chicago, in Illinois, to the United States Baha'i National Archives, which are at the Baha'i House of Worship, Baha'i Temple in Wilmette. It was just a revelation. There were so there were so many letters, the correspondence between Louise and Lewis, letters that she had written, letters that people had written to her. And I had no idea before I went that there was going to be so much. I wish I had allocated twice as long to stay there. But I managed to gather all the information I really needed. And from that, I realized at that point I had enough interesting information, fascinating information, to be able to write a book about her.
0: Janet, was there any blowback from her family side as a result of her marrying Lewis? Do you know?
1: I'm often asked this. There doesn't seem to have been, really. She came from a very large family. Her father came from very humble beginnings, but he... Ended up more or less a millionaire, really. His business he developed was importing groceries, mainly butter and eggs, from France into London, into England. And he made a fortune from this. And he had 12 children. One poor infant died at a very young age. But Louise had all these siblings, a very large family, She must have been a little bit different. Mostly she had brothers. She had three sisters. They all seemed to have had more education than women normally had in the Victorian age, if I can put it like that. But she surpassed the others, and so she qualified as a teacher herself. So she was perhaps a little bit unusual, even in that family from the beginning. After she married Lewis she had lived abroad by herself you know as a single woman so again this is this is quite unusual so maybe her family were used to louise just doing unusual things and then she did correspond with most of her siblings throughout her life so she wasn't ostracized by them at all and when she married louis her father had already deceased he'd passed away But her mother was still alive, and her mother died in 1917. And she left quite an extensive will. And you'd think if she had been upset at Louise's marriage or her change of religion, she might have cut her out of her will, but she didn't. She left equally to Louise and the other sisters, the other daughters, They may have thought, oh, she's always been a bit strange. But no, they didn't seem to have ostracized her.
0: The Baha'i community was in infancy. And of course, the Baha'i community was still immature and trying to understand its teachings and was affected by the society around them, especially if they were in Washington, D.C. Did she or Lewis express any difficulties being in interracial marriage? in the community
1: well it's surprising that in all these letters that i was given the opportunity to read and to study really she never made much of the difficulties well we know they must have had terrific difficulties they move as i say they moved so often from place to place but no Mm -hmm. she she didn't express any hardships Really. There's one excerpt, one point in one of her letters, she laments and uses the word coloured people because that was the term used in those days. Mm -hmm. Uh, She says, It will be so wonderful when the coloured people can just live anywhere they want to. At that time, obviously, they couldn't. But within the Baha'i community, I don't think they suffered any sort of prejudice, although, you know, as you've mentioned, it was the early days for the Baha'is, and a lot of the teachings really weren't understood. And it was difficult in Washington, in particular it seems, for the Baha'i community to come to terms with the fact that all the races should meet together. is fundamental to the Baha'i faith, but this was quite a problem in the early years Mm -hmm. in Washington. In some of her letters, it's obvious that she's struggling, or the the two of them, the the couple themselves, are struggling with this problem of where could the Baha'is meet that was acceptable to all of them.
0: So now that you have this biography under your belt, do you have any current writing projects or plans for another?
1: Well, you know, I tend to have ideas that I'm mulling over In my mind, and this can go on for some time. It can take quite a while before this gestation, if you like, is completed. But yeah, I have one or two ideas sort of going around in my brain this time, and one in particular I have been researching another British Baha'i woman. This lady, quite, quite different in character and in things that she did in her life, quite different from Louise Gregory, but I think equally fascinating. Her name was Beatrice Irwin, and she was born in India because her father was chaplain to the British troops in India at that time, and she was a world traveller. She went to every continent, really, and she also had a successful acting career That was before she became a Baha'i. She met Abdu'l-Bahá in Paris and became a Baha'i. And she was a poet. She was a journalist. She became a traveling teacher for the Baha'i faith and apparently was an outstanding speaker. And at the same time, she was a pioneering female engineer, a very early woman scientist, she was a pioneer in lighting engineering. Yeah, so <laughs> you see, I'm quite sold on this <laughs> this life of this woman. I find it very interesting. And I've been able to also look at her correspondence from the United States Baha'i archives, and I've been working on them, studying them for the last um, 18 months or so, I think it must be now. So this is perhaps the major project, that I'm working on thinking about at the moment.
0: So, Janet, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to share about your book, A Seed in Your Heart. It's just the story about Louise Matthew Gregory. Thank you so much, Janet.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Laura.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Janet Fleming Rose, author of the biography A Seed in Your Heart, about Louise Matthew Gregory a British woman whose destiny led her to marrying an African-American in the U.S. in 1912. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website com and on the YouTube channel, A Baha'i Perspective. You can also find the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on a Baha'i perspective.
2: city and the heart and the mountain and the refuge in the Cape and the valley. City